0: Hey everybody, Adam here. We are in chapter 12 of Nehemiah. We're on the final stretch and I'm excited to get into the scriptures with you again. I truly believe that God has a final deposit for us as a community. So thank you for holding on until the end. Thank you for pushing through doing life and community together. I can't wait to throw a big final party at the end. Celebrate 10 years of God's goodness and grace and let's today talk about what it means to be friends in identity together. Here's a question for you. Who do you think you are? Offended yet? I hope not. No, seriously. Who do you think you are? How would you describe yourself? How would you define yourself? Say, I'm a human. Or, uh, you know, I'm me. I work a job. I, you know, went to school. I like to bake. I like to cook. Neither of those things are true. Uh, I like to eat, actually. That's more me. How would you define who you are? Is it about things or uh, achievements? Or would you say, I am a brother, I am a son, I'm a father. Would you define yourself by your relationships? For the Christian, we define ourselves by a relationship to God the Father, a relationship to Jesus, our Lord and Savior, right? Because ultimately, your life will flow out of how you define who you are, how you answer the question of what is my identity? Who am I? right? A lot of us need to know our activity does not define our identity. That comes, it's important in a number of ways, which we'll dive into a little more later, right? Oftentimes, actually, it's our identity that defines our activity, right? So if you are a goth kid, I don't know if anyone remembers the goth kids. When I was growing up, they were the you know, mohawks or colored hairs, black fingernail painting, eye shadow. Um, they had the, uh, the belts with the spikes on them, wore all black, would hide in corners or under bridges um, mm-hmm. and listen to metal music, Marilyn Manson, all that kind of stuff. They were the goth kids, right? And their identity as such defined their activity, right? They acted a certain way because of who they thought they were. If you're in Christ, you are a saint. If you're not in Christ, you are a sinner. That is your identity. Before I met Jesus at 24 years old, I was a sinner. In the New Testament, well actually, in the New Testament, I think it's only about three times that that Christians are referred to as sinners, but it's overwhelming. I think it's in the hundreds that God, that uh, Christians, God's people in the New Testament, referred to as saints, saints. And so our identity in Christ is saint, not sinner, and that changes our activity, right? So in this in this passage alone, we see a long list of priests. We would often assume, you know, if you have a Catholic upbringing, right? Priests would be pretty close to being like a saint, you know? And in the Old Testament, uh, a while back here in Moses' time, the people of God had their moment to step, literally step forward into their identity as priests, as the royal priesthood, the nation of priests, Instead, they choked back in their fear and anxiety and they took a step back from the mountain where they were to meet God. And Moses and Aaron became the priests, the sole mediators on behalf of the rest of the community. This was supposed to be the role of the entire nation of God's people. But it wasn't because they didn't step into their full identity. They let someone else do it for them. This is a very interesting dynamic because I feel like the same problem happens in the church. How many churches allow a small group of people to mediate God's presence between the people in the building rather than the whole community there being a blessing, being the priests, being the mediators to the whole neighborhood and the whole community? this is why we have famous christian worship bands we cannot experience god's mediated presence without them without those songs that are very familiar to us that's why when you change worship songs on people they're like i don't know how to worship anymore i've been i love going to uh conferences that are with denominations i know nothing about with people i've I've never been with before because they do funky, weird music that I've never heard before. And I just like joining in and being with people in worship and trying my best to fumble through a song because I know I'm just with people who love Jesus and I'm just trying to worship Jesus and it doesn't matter. God's proud by my effort and those people aren't judging me because I'm trying my best. Right? We don't have to have certain people facilitate and mediate or certain songs mediate or facilitate our relationship with god how many churches show up to be fed rather than to celebrate and go feed that's another way to say it right you ever heard that someone use that phrase oh, i just didn't feel fed right Here's another way to put it. Are you a sinner needing to be fed rather than a saint ready to feed? There's a long list of priests here. Let's skip ahead to verse 24. And the chiefs of the Levites, Hashabiah and Sherebiah, and Jeshua, son of Kadmiel, with their brothers who stood opposite them, to praise and to give thanks according to the commandment of David, the man of God, watch by watch. And we'll also read verse 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. Not someone who doesn't tell the truth. A lyre is kind of like an acoustic guitar. So people with their identity rooted in Jesus, what do they do? They praise, they give thanks. They celebrate with gladness, thanksgiving, and singing. You say, what about mourning and lament? Totally. Look, no one's bagging on that. But here, this has been the worst time in their life. Remember, the city burned to the ground. Why? Because God was angry with them for their unfaithfulness. He exiled them to be slaves in a foreign nation under godless pagan kings. For 141 years, and it wasn't until he anointed and appointed a certain leader to lead them out, did they finally see the smallest glimmer of hope. And it was a small glimmer. Wow, they got the resources. Wow, we got the people. Could we actually do this? Oh my gosh, it's going to be hard work. And the whole time they were constantly, the enemies were opposing them one guy half in, half out, one guy fully out, constantly annoying, putting up fake news, propaganda, misinformation, disinformation, frustrating the people, opposing them, frustrating the work. Getting them disheartened, there was injustice, but in the midst of it, there was great generosity, and it was a sliver of hope, but they held on to it, they crawled up through the ashes, they rebuilt the walls, they replaced the bars they got up the gates to protect themselves the women and children to restart the worship of god in the temple and this is what they do is they come out of the worst time in their life when they should be lamenting the most and you know what they decide to do praise and give thanks they decide to celebrate with gladness thanksgiving and singing It's amazing. It's amazing. And from here, I'd like to read Isaiah 61 to you. This is a passage that Jesus reads as he enters into the synagogue and declares the fulfillment of prophecy. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. That they may be called oaks of righteousness, planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. They have the garment of praise, the oil of gladness. It's amazing, but I want to focus on one image here, and that is oaks of righteousness. Because remember, we're talking about identity. Who are you? You could say, from now on, this day forward, Jesus makes me an oak of righteousness. That is my identity. What do you think of when you think of trees? Well, we got the big bushy leaves. We got uh, maybe the shade that those leaves make, the branches that hold the leaves. Oh, yeah, the trunk, right? Maybe some fruit. Maybe think of a fruit tree, apples or cherries or whatever. Many of us would define a tree by what we see, the tangible, physical things that are above the ground. How many times do we forget the things that are under the ground, Right? the roots what the roots are feeding on that bring life they're a little bit harder to see what's under the surface often empowers fuels and strengthens right so the roots make the tree sturdy if you have deep roots and wide roots you're less likely to blow over you're strong it gives you power amidst opposition but also, the bigger, stronger roots you have, the more fuel and energy you can suck up to bear more fruit. Same thing for a Christian. The thing that's under the surface, you look the same as every other human. But there's something that should be different about you hidden there under this, just under the surface, that empowers fuels and strengthens you. Okay? What is that? comes from the purification of your sin. And the garment of praise is placed over you. Okay? Because our identity defines our state of mind. Our identity defines our actions and reactions to circumstances. Our identity defines our dependence on certain relationship dynamics out there. And our identity bulwarks us in times of trouble or perceived trouble. See, our thoughts about who we are, or the things that are going around us, or the people that we interact with, define the feelings and emotions that we have. And this is why, in the New Testament, go ahead and read it, pray about this, Paul talks so much about the life of the mind. He talks so much about this. Because these thoughts and emotions will define all of our relationships around us, including the one that we have with God. I think, carry this with you to your next season, I think the greatest miracles we will see in our time will be relational miracles, will be psychological miracles. We live in an age where relationships are shattered, families are shattered. The biggest miracles we will see will be, I think, what God calls out in the end of the scriptures. He says... The spirit will see the reconciling of fathers to sons and sons to their fathers. Okay? We live in the most fatherless generation that ever was. Imagine that started to change. The greatest miracles that are ahead of us in North America would be relational and psychological miracles. Do not discount that. Here are some interesting tidbits to support this thesis. In 2019, the Youth Mental Health Canada cited 19% of deaths among youth aged 10 to 14 were that of suicide. That's one in every five youth aged 10 to 14, of those youth that die at that age. One in every five deaths. 29%? This is crazy. This is almost one in three of youth aged 15 to 19. One in three of the deaths that occur at that age is because of suicide. That's insane. 23%, that's almost one in every four among young adults aged 20 to 24 is that of suicide. We have a crisis, a psychological crisis, a relational crisis on our hands. These are Canadian statistics. By age 25, 20% of Canadians will have developed a mental illness. That is one in five. Canada's youth suicide rate is the third highest in the industrialized world. We have a crisis on our hands. What's the solution to this crisis? I'm going to put forward a solution. You can think about it and you can pray about it. But I think two of the answers are here in verse 30 and verse 43. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. In verse 43. They offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away." Here we see in Nehemiah a worship service from 2,500 years ago. The same thing can happen in our life. Right here, they're purifying places and things and people, right? Places and things, they're purifying walls, those are places, things, that's gates, right? And people, the priests and the Levites, okay? In our life, places and things can often become uh, trigger points for us. They become shameful and unclean, right? Every time you go there or see that or are uh, in a place, you feel defiled again. We feel that shame again come around you, right? They can be trauma triggers. They bring you right back to that moment that you were in where something, someone defiled you. Maybe... That was that nightclub where something really bad happened. Maybe that was your parents' house. God forbid. Or temptation triggers, right? The fridge. Your phone. And for you that have experienced real trauma, abuse, and neglect, I am so sorry. You do not and did not deserve that defilement. You deserve to be purified. 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 So you get to decide by the power of the Holy Spirit with the purification of Jesus, do you remove these things from your life or do you purify these things in your life? Should you remove these things? Like, do you just need to get rid of your smartphone so that it's not tempting you anymore? Do you need to um, remove the chips from your house so it's not tempting you? Do you need to remove the picture of that person off your wall Do you need to not go down that street anymore? Or is there a way that you can redeem, reclaim, or purify that thing so that it does not trigger you anymore? Places and things. But what about you? We still have you to deal with. Because guess what? You have done things. We, you know that things have been done to you. We often know that. But you also need to know you've done things. You have. You're not as good a person that you claim. You have made yourself dirty by the things that you have done. And we are often very aware of how we are a victim. But we are very blind to how we are sinners. But sacrifice... And in particular, in the New Testament time we find ourselves in, the sacrifice of Jesus, this makes you, you, sinner and victim, pure and clean. And this is good news, friend. You don't have to be dirty anymore. See, the Old Testament people, they would be coming to this celebration, to this time of worship. They would stop, they would wash and purify themselves. This is similar to baptism. And they would then put on robes of white and they would ascend the mountain to the temple of God and worship God in pure white, clean, and blameless. And they would meet with God and they would worship. That was before Jesus came. After Jesus comes, let's read 1 John chapter 1 verses 7-9. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son... Purifies us from all sin, all sin, all of it the sin that was done to you that should not have, and the sin that you've done. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You say you're not a sinner? We literally have had people at Trinity Life say, No, I haven't sinned. I haven't sinned this month. (laughs) Yeah, you have. You just did right now. You lied, right? you deceived. You're deceived. The truth is not in you. But guess what? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Guys, there's good news for you. When you submit to the Lordship of Jesus, when you receive the beautiful gift that Jesus would have for you, you can be purified. You can be clean. It's amazing. And you can go on into your future not being defined by the worst thing you've ever done, and not being defined by the worst thing that's ever been done to you. You can leave that behind. I'm not saying forgive and forget. I'm just saying you get to put it as far as the east is from the west, because that's what God does with your sin. He doesn't forget. He puts it as far as the east is from the west, and he does not count it against you, because Christ has done a beautiful thing for you, and he has taken you and Uh, And he has gone in your place and taken the punishment, the penalty, rather for your sin. And he has also taken you and put you in his place as a son, as a co-heir with him to the kingdom. Would you please receive that gift, friend? And I hope this changes your life forever. And I hope you carry that message forward with you to share with others so that we could see amazing, beautiful things happen in your life and in the lives of those that we love, care, and will come into a relationship with in the future. I love you. Have fun unpacking all of this in your R3. Be blessed.